This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Leon Logan-Nathan. With me, Mr. Peter Gowers. How are you, Pete? Hello there. How are you, mate? Good. I like to pause there to just give people the opportunity to consider whether it might be somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say to give people the opportunity to leave. <laughs> Right, right. Well, mate, how was your day? Yeah, not bad, not bad. The um, this dry season thing's uh, proving elusive, isn't it? It's popping in, popping out, making up its own mind. It. This is the sort of thing that can really annoy a Darwinite. You know, we put up with a lot of crap uh, for yeah. most of the year, and we yep. expect and demand exactly that between the months of May and September or August, at least. Yep. Um, we have the best weather in the country. Nights under 19 degrees, damn it. That's what we, that's what we demand. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, the other day, the, the silly gate uh, at my, on my driveway came unhinged mm. and um, I had to go and fix it before leaving for work. And, and you were unhinged. I was unhinged. At the end of it, I was sweating <laughs> and I thought, hang on, this yeah. is a dry season. It's, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. What the hell? This is not what I signed up for. No, no, but that's all right. Anyway, uh, mate, uh, I've got a new guest to introduce to you, um, someone whom I've met once, um, and I had a bit of a discussion with him about some some things, and uh, it turns out that he's got a really, really interesting story. So I thought we'd get him on and share his story with you and with our listeners. So may I introduce to you and our listeners, Mr. Jerome, First, no. Did I get that right, Jeroen, by the way? Oh, it's uh, pronounced Euron. So, oh, Euron. Yeah, the, the okay. J-E-R is like a Y sound. Right. Uh, so Euron, or yeah. if you're in Holland, Euron. Euron, right. Uh, uh, and first, no? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Okay, Euron. And is that what everyone calls you, or do they just go with the J? Uh People who know me usually, you know, you're on. Um, people who've never seen it before, like clients, uh, look at it, pause for 30 <laughs> seconds and then go, Jerome, Jerome. Do they ever go with hello, Mr. First now? <laughs> no, you think that would be the easy way out? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you know what? That actually reminds me of, a, of, a, of a Russell Peters' um, uh, joke. Did you did you ever did you ever follow Russell Peters? I know Russell Peters well. Very funny. Okay, your own. Uh, so Russell Peters is a yeah. Canadian uh, Indian, as in South Indian um, from India, kind of. Okay. Uh, uh, well, his background at least, and uh, born in Canada, and he's a comedian, and he just makes fun of all races and ethnicities, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and some people find his humour extremely. Um, offensive and other people just think it's the funniest thing that they've ever heard so <laughs> um uh anyway he uh, <laughs> he's talking about the time he was in south africa and playing um cards uh, at a casino <laughs> and the uh, the dealer uh had his name tag on he was this african guy right. and his name tag was 
exclamation, X O B I L E. I will leave you and the listeners to go and search that up on YouTube. Look it up. Because it is extraordinarily funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, you're on. Yes. Your story. Where were you born? Um, so I was actually born in Kalgoorlie. Uh, right, WA. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my parents, uh, they immigrated from Holland, uh, hence the unique name. Mm-hmm. And uh, so dad was a geologist, so he got uh, transported around Australia doing different jobs at different mines and he was doing a stint in Kalgoorlie and... Um, yeah, apparently mum tells me the story that uh, she was told a number of years earlier she couldn't have kids anymore, never had periods, and then one day the doctor said, oh, what's wrong? And she goes, I don't know, I'm not feeling well. Checked her out going, ah, you're pregnant. And I don't know how, why, whatever, but it happened. So Wow. Um, so, yeah, they, they reckon they call them Goldfinger because they're in, there in the mining towns and whatnot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I was born. Uh, didn't stay um, for long in Kalgoorlie. We, I've never been back there, to be honest, either. So it's on my uh, bucket list to actually see where I was born. But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so Kalgoorlie and then... Uh, Followed uh, Dad to his next uh, appointment, a bit of time in uh, Newcastle, uh, did a stint in the coal mines there, Uh, and then uh, we went out to Papua New Guinea to the Highlands. Uh, I don't remember much of it. uh, Spent two, three years there. And um, then to Canberra, uh, and then back to uh, Papua New Guinea to Bougainville. Wow. And I'm sure we've had somebody else on this podcast that was in Bougainville, Pete. Yeah, look, it, it, it's amazing how many people that you hear of, if you press a bit, who've got a connection there. Like one of my good school friends yeah. spent his formative years there until year seven. Yeah. Well, I loved it. I, I mean, when we were there, I thought, wow, why would you want to live anywhere else? Yeah. You know, you're on a little island in the middle of nowhere. You go swimming at the beach every day after school. And we didn't have TV, didn't have phones, didn't even know what, what that stuff was. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, you tell the kids that now and they're going, <laughs> how did you live? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so is this Bougainville was the, uh, they were trying to seek independence or something, were they? Yeah, so we were there just uh, probably just on the turn before it happened. Uh, we got out, uh, I left end of 79 with mum. And then Dad came probably three months later in early 80s. Mm. And then I think it was only about a year or so after that that they started getting the trouble with uh, the locals really pushing for their independence and causing a bit of violence and strife for Mm. um, the expats who were living there. Uh, So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Did a cruise um, about two years ago, three years ago, sorry, uh, and we went around through Papua New Guinea, took the kids up through there, didn't go to um, 
Bougainville, but it was nice just to show them that area and some of the small islands to give them a taste of what um, what I grew up on. So. And so you left before your dad, so what, he, he was still working. Is it the Octetti Mine? I'm trying to think of what Bougainville. Uh, so, no, Bougainville Copper Mine. Copper, right, okay. Yeah. Well, Teddy must be something else then, I'm confused. Yeah, it rings a bell. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, unless they've changed names or whatever, but that's <laughs> what we referred it to back in the day. Right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so it was actually uh, mum and dad actually had a breakup, and so that's why mum and I left first and... And uh, Dad tidied up what he was doing and then uh, followed us afterwards. And we ended mm. up going uh, from Bougainville down to Adelaide. Wow. Um, so they, they made up then? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, no. Uh, Dad just, well, we decided to go to Adelaide because the only other family mum knew was Dad's brother who lived there. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> she thought, well, at least if I'm there, I've got some kind of support that I yeah. can go to. And, uh, and then Dad realised what he was doing in Bougainville wasn't really going to pan out, so he thought, well, at least he should be in the same town so he can be close to myself. And um, I've got an older sister. She's uh, six years older than me. Mm. So um, because of schooling, she stayed with Dad initially and then came to Adelaide when he came over. So, so just with the Bougainville stuff, um, you're on just quickly, um, I Obviously, I've heard of it, and uh, I know that it got pretty bloody there. But could you just tell us exactly what it was all about, and, and sort of how it all occurred with the, I guess you call it uprising of sorts? Yeah, well, well, to the best uh, of what I know about it, I mean, sure. it's, um, so Bougainville was uh, basically supported by the Australian government, and its main um, income was the. Uh, Bougainville copper mine mm. and I think what happened in the end is the locals realised that they weren't getting um, what they thought was a fair share out of uh, the mining uh, returns right? and thought that, well, if we have self-government, we can manage all this ourselves and uh-huh. get rid of all um, all these other people interfering. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of um, uprising, a bit of... Uh, bloodshed unfortunately and Mm. eventually I think Australia pulled out and well they got their self-government but uh, nothing else happened with the mine after that. Uh, Yeah right which is often the case isn't it? Yeah now they didn't have the infrastructure to do anything with it Um, you know I don't think anyone really understood the money involved to make it run on a day-by-day basis and they just saw well here's how much money it's earning yeah, and not yeah. all the cost associated with it. So. And is Bougainville um, the area, I guess PNG as a whole, was that mooted to become part of Australia at one point? Oh, I'm not sure that I haven't come across okay. that at all. Okay. I mean, you've got to think when I left Bougainville, I was nine, ten years old. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. You know, it wasn't Other things heavily, to focus on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was more worried about what's this TV going to be like when we get to Adelaide? Is it, yeah. How good is it really? How does this work? <laughs> <laughs> how do they get inside there? <laughs> and and so how was Adelaide? Oh, Adelaide, it was freezing. You know, <laughs> <imagine>. <laughs> uh, we, we got Still there. is. 
Yeah, middle of summer and uh, coming from Bougainville, which, I mean, as you can imagine, similar temperature to Darwin, but probably uh, a bit more humid, uh, more constantly throughout the year. Mm. And I didn't realise we were so acclimatised to it, but, you know, it would be middle of summer, I'd get up, sit in front of the TV and put the heater on, and um, my uncle would come out and go, what are you doing? It's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> and I'm just there shivering in front of a TV going, it's cold. <laughs> uh, yep. But, um, but, I mean, Adelaide, those first few months, uh, apart from the weather, I mean, both mum and I had this whole, I suppose, fantasy that family is going to get back together you know, in a few months' time, we'll, we'll get a house here and we'll all be back together. Everything will be forgotten and, um, you know, she'll be right. And uh, especially when Dad did come over, um, thought, oh, yep, here we go, it's happening. Mm. But then he moved into his own unit and um, didn't have any direct association with us from a, you know, stay-at-home perspective and, you know, then all of a sudden the weekend started, you know, and, Geez, mm. I'll spend a weekend with Dad. This is a bit weird. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it took, I think it took a good 12 months or so before the reality really hit that, hang on, this is a forever situation. Yeah. Um, yeah I think for Mum it even took longer. I think she held out for a long time thinking, no, no, it, it will change. Mm. Oh, so she wanted to uh, reunite, did she? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, she still loved my dad dearly. I mean, he had an affair which uh, uh, probably triggered it and then said, no, he just couldn't do this anymore and he wanted to split. So mum's whole thing was, well, no, no, he's changed his mind and he's changed his mind, we can make it work. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it took quite a while for, you know, for her to come around and realise, you know, okay, I've got to move on and, you know, live my own life. Yeah. So, but I tell you, mum was pretty uh, pretty impressive on that, that first 12 months. I mean, we arrived in Adelaide. She had no job. Um, no one really knew the status officially between her and dad mm. and so her option was do we rent or do we go and buy a house but she didn't have a deposit for anything um, and uh, so Western Mining who uh, had uh, contacted dad to get him to move to Adelaide um, she went to them and said well he's coming back I need uh, a guarantor for a loan um, so we can get a house and, of course, I said, oh, well, we've just got this guy coming in. We've got to look after him and the family. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, whatever you need, Mrs. Firstner, no problems. And um, so that's how we got this loan through the bank because she had nothing to, you know, put up as collateral for it. And um, and we got a house in uh, Kensington, probably smallest house in a, in a really nice suburban street. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Uh, very lucky, but uh, all kudos to her. I mean, uh, I yeah. don't think many people would have had the balls to try it. And, 
What a great story. You, you yeah. so often hear in those situations of someone having uh, bad things done to them, but uh, that's a great result. Yeah. And, uh, and that little house in um, Kensington, well, that was home for the rest of my schooling years uh, and uh, until I probably left, oh, geez, when I was about 23 when I moved out of home. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of good memories there in Adelaide in the end. It was uh, yeah, amazing how things change, you know, going from the tropics to yeah. the other side of Australia. and uh, It was pretty good, nice place. Did you bump into the Queen very often in Kensington? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Bad joke. Uh, well, <laughs> we lived opposite a guy called uh, Mr Went who uh, owned a company called Wentz Jewelers. Uh, right. Yeah, so uh, I think he liked to think he, himself as a king. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you finished school and you went straight into insurance, did you? Yeah, it was, um, didn't really have much thought of where I wanted to go. Uh, you know, I thought uni, uh, I don't know, um, hospitality, yeah, I'll go and sit behind a bar or something and uh, – and I uh, got a uh, a friend of mum's actually got me a temp job uh, with uh, what was it with the tax department. Uh, so uh, and I was just going through archives, sorting out files and whatnot, and I uh, did that for six months. And the temp agency then rang me up one day and said, "Oh, you're getting really good reports from um, you know this job with the tax department." Um, so we put you on a list for a permanent job and there's this uh, company called uh, Norwich Winterthur, uh, which is a really old insurance company, um, and they're looking for a junior. So, yeah, I was 18. Um, thought, okay, give it a go. Uh, they booked me on and, geez, that was a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> it's, uh, if you think of really old-fashioned insurance companies, I mean, where you, you called the boss uh yeah mr mr moore or mr copeland yeah you couldn't call yeah, them by yeah. their first name <laughs> um if there was a function it was like oh you're the junior here's the keys to the company car you drive all of the managers around <laughs> <laughs> you know, it will tell you when it's time to pick us up and uh it was around that time too i got my uh, ear pierced oh. and when i walked into the office so i mean Every senior manager there just kept at me going, what the hell are you wearing that for? What is that? <laughs> Get that out of your ear. And I'm going, no, no, no. Stood my ground and eventually uh, they, they let it slide and uh, they employed another junior. So I had someone under me at long last <laughs> and he got his ear pierced too. And I thought, oh, thank <laughs> God, I'll pick on someone else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Norwich Winterthur became HIH eventually, didn't it? Yeah, so it went from Norwich Winterthur to uh, CIC Insurance. Uh, it was called a merger, but um, eventually <laughs> the Norwich Winterthur name went and it was just CIC. So, um, and then being in a bigger company, I went from, you know, uh, Norwich Winterthur had, I think, about 25 staff in, in that office to CIC had probably 200 Gee. and um, so I was in the, the domestic uh, underwriting section 
So, you know, just doing your household and car insurance, you know, doing your new business renewals. And um, so I did that for a year or two with them and then uh, got a chance to be a supervisor, which uh, was pretty cool. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just a progression. Uh, and uh, CIC uh, eventually became part of HIH. And then, as we all know, uh, HIH got into a bit of strife and <laughs> went down the Google. We don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so were you there when that happened? Um, I got out just before. So what happened, I, I did a stint of uh, four years with um, Norwich and CIC together, and then I went uh, uh, in the end was forced to quit the company. Uh, because I wanted to go overseas, so I had a chance to go do a bit of travelling. So I said, well, I want to go and do this. They wouldn't give me uh, extended leave. And I said, well, if you don't, I have to quit. So that's what I did. I quit, went overseas and came back a bit under 12 months later. And um, by this stage, Dad had actually moved from Adelaide to Queensland. So when I came back uh, from overseas, I... Uh, went to Queensland instead. I thought, well, I'll stay with Dad for a while. Mm. And uh, I was looking for work there. And then out of the blue, I get a call from CIC saying, oh, we've heard you back in um, in Australia. Uh, we've got a job here in Adelaide if you want to come back and work for us. And I was like, oh, wow. well, what do I do? Uh, uh, I said, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, oh, we've got a spot in our claims team. So I said, okay, well, I need a job, you know, blew all my money overseas, so I've got to pay some bills back. <laughs> um, so I jumped on the plane, went down to Adelaide, and uh, by this stage mum had sold the house and had uh, relocated with a boyfriend to Kangaroo Island. So I basically came back, hit up my best mate down there and said, oh, let's go and rent a unit and, um, you know, share that for a while and see how things go. So, um, yeah, there I was back in Adelaide, kind of done a full U-turn of where I thought I would never go back to, Yeah. Um, uh, working for the same company, just doing something a bit different and uh, learning a, a little bit about insurance claims. Can we just go back to your 12-month sojourn? <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, what uh, inspired you to do that and where did you go? Um. So I did uh, 12 months over in Europe and I didn't know how long I was going to be over there, so I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just get a one-way ticket. Um, I pre-booked a couple of Kentucky tours, so I did one a one-week uh, skiing trip and I had a 30-day um, trip in the middle of the year and in the middle of summer going through Scandinavia and the Eastern Bloc. Because um, there were always areas that I was really interested in, mm. and um, but I figured they're hard to travel through if you don't really know much of the language. Yeah. So I thought if I did a tour around that, and then once I finish that, well then I can just do some backpacking or whatnot and see Western Europe afterwards. So yeah, it was just I suppose the inspiration was uh, I had a bit of uh, cash. Uh, Hmm. Uh, given to me from Dad. He gave some to my sister and myself and 
So the thought was, do I put it into a unit or <laughs> do I do something which I really want to enjoy and do? And uh, so I thought I'll put it towards travelling. Um, and then I had the bonus back then when I quit my company, um, you could cash in your super. So I had a bit of super that I cashed in as well. And so I had plenty of money in reserves there. And um, when I got over to London, I spent... Uh, about four four months or so working behind a bar, uh, just waiting for the summer season to come come through. And then once that hit, that was it. it was on the go, just travelling as many different places as I could, mm-hmm. see as much as we could. Uh, ended up buying a van which uh, broke down on us. I don't know how many times, and just kept fixing it up on credit card. And yeah, thinking, oh well, when I sell it back in London or get the money back, which we never did. <laughs> um, but but when you say we, you and who else? Uh, so on the Kentucky tour, um, met a couple of people who wanted to travel as well. So I said, well, let's do this. We'll just share costs and see how we go. Uh, mm. So uh, one of the guys uh, stayed with us for about four weeks and then he went back home to Australia um, one of the girls I was with, um, she's a South African girl, uh, and she stayed uh, for the whole trip. And then uh, picked up a few other people along the way, and a few people drop off. Uh, it was just the way how things were back back then. You you stop off somewhere, and they say, "Oh, we're going in that direction. I'll share your yeah. fuel costs." And so, yeah, you know, shares a breaks up the monotony of just having the same person. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah it was just me and um, and Michelle. Jeez, uh, I think we would have killed each other <laughs> if we didn't have other people coming through there. Are you, do you still maintain contact with her? Uh, no. Okay. No. Uh, I think she sent me a card once, uh, which I never responded to. Uh, not very nice of me, but... Uh, <laughs> Things happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we were... Pretty much everything was, at, I think, cut and dry. It was time to mm. leave it at that. Right, right. Did right. you catch so, the um, infamous Kentucky cough while you were away, Euro? <laughs> no, no, I think I had too many beers. Uh, to, <laughs> um, ah, natural medicine. Yeah, immunise myself against it. <laughs> well, what is that, Pete? Oh, anyone who's been on a Kentucky tour, certainly in, in you know, the last probably 20, 30 years, it's it's always talked about the Kentucky cough because, you know, people get a bit friendly on these tours. <laughs> yeah, One person right. gets a cough and everybody else gets a cough and <laughs> it's something they all share around, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so a- any regrets about that 12 months, uh, Hero? Uh, only regret was I didn't stay longer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. By the time I, we got back to London and I was getting flat broke and I thought, well, I'll try and get a pub job in London, but I wanted to get something which was half decent. I didn't want to get paid just uh, £3 an hour like I did initially. Mm. And it just wasn't that easy. And so I ended up kipping out in the van on the streets of London wow. Um yeah, and you're thinking, you know, we're getting uh, end of October, early November, it's getting yeah. a bit chilly. You know, I used to be in my sleeping bag in the van and then uh, morning comes and I'll go and turn the 
the guests on for the kettle and boil a cuppa and they'll warm up the van enough for me to get up. And <laughs> and, uh, and then there was a uh, hotel uh, near where I, I used to park and they had a lot of backpackers and whatnot. So I knew the routine there. I could just walk in, pretend I was staying there, go use their, their <laughs> bathrooms. <laughs> so I'd go there, have a clean-up in the morning, you know, and then leave, go and have breakfast somewhere and... I think they just thought I was, I was staying there. They had no clue I was <laughs> around the corner in a van. <laughs> so. That's your classic backpacker description. That's great. Yeah. It is. Uh, so, yeah. um, so you made it back and then uh, got the job, obviously, in uh, Adelaide and, and you were there just before HIH folded. Uh, where did you end up after that? So... I was about three and a bit years in Adelaide when I got back and I was bored out of my brain. And I said to my boss, I need a transfer. And I was looking to get back up to Queensland because I knew the manager there. And it was all a done deal. And then at the last minute, my boss said, oh, we've got a position we're going to create in Darwin. And um, I said, why don't you try that? And it just went like a flag in my head, I was like, Darwin, this is going to be like Papua New Guinea, you know, like, <laughs> well, weather-wise, you know, uh, I was just thinking. Amongst other things. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, my mate said I was crazy, but I just thought, oh, let me go. When can I start? So um, I said, yep, yeah, no problems. Uh, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, we've got a section of claims that are not running too well. We want you to come in. And you'll be responsible for all those. Um, uh, the, the client was a, one of the credit unions, and they said, oh, "That's our dog just going ballistic." Mm. Um, so I said, "Yeah, okay, uh, that sounds great." And um, so I got up there and started settling in, met all the credit unions, and uh, started doing their claims and. Everyone was happy. They said, oh, no problems. Um, you've achieved what you wanted to. And I said, well, I want to do some assessing. I, I don't want to be stuck in the office all the time. I want to get out on the road and, you know, see some of these claimants and hmm. get a bit more involved. So we started working through that process, what training I might need. And I'd been in Darwin now for 10 months. What year was this, by the way, you're on? Uh, so we're talking 90, end of 95, I got up here. It was around the last week of uh, 1995. So, mm. um, so yeah, but, say October 96, um, I get a call from a local firm, a local assessing firm, um, I think they were a bit worried because they knew I was interested in assessing and if I went and did that in-house, it would take a lot of work that we gave them off their table. Mm. So they hit me up and said, oh, why don't you come and work for us? And that's where I kind of said, well, do I want to do my stint here and go back to Adelaide? Or do I take a chance on um, joining these guys and I just make Darwin my home? So, and a bit of a no-brainer. I love Darwin, so mm. I said, "Well, 
you know, this other company hasn't really done that much for me. If they really wanted to look after me when I went overseas, I would have said, well, here's 12 months labour of our pay mm. or something along those lines. And or double pay. <laughs> well, now you're talking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that uh, ended up joining a company called Territory Assessing Services. And it was probably uh, 12 months or so after that that HIH collapsed. Mm. So I always remember uh, quite clearly, actually, it's, um, we were doing a lot of work for them. I mean, the extreme amount of work. And then the rumours came out that things weren't going too well. And the local uh, claims person came up to us and said, have you got any invoices? Send them to us as quickly as you can because we can mm. only issue so much money each week. Mm. Wow. And we're going, oh, crap. And, I mean, what we had probably uh, for a small company uh, what we were, I mean, probably uh, exposure of, about 150,000 or so worth them at a guess. Um, so we, we got some of it, but, um, yeah, when the crash uh, finally occurred and they stopped everything, yeah, we were mm. still out of pocket a fair bit. Mm. Um, and I think even after all the court rulings, it was like nine cents in the dollar or something ridiculous like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I managed to get out just before before they went down the gurgler. So, yeah, apart from how it affected the, the company, it didn't really affect me too too much personally in the end. Mm. So good timing rather than insider trading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Territory Assessing Services, uh, you were there for quite a long period of time, weren't you? Yeah, I think... Uh, that's 17 years. It's uh, Territory Assessing Services went through a few different name changes uh, that, that uh, end up being uh, part of the Freeman's franchise, uh, which merged with another company called McLaren's, so it became uh, MYI Freeman's, and then eventually rebranded to Cerno. Mm. Um, and then I finally got out of that and went to uh, TIO and not long after I went to TIO, Cerno went down the gurgler. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so the lesson here is um, whenever your own leaves, everybody should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's it. Oh, well, it's yeah. like an anti-job interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I better tell LMI, um, yeah, just be careful, I've got a history here. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so the, the worst thing was uh, by the time Cerno went down, I mean, we all had shareholdings, like we, you know, we all uh, owned part of the business and yeah. eventually everything that we had there, which was going to be little nest eggs and whatnot, yep. um, yeah, that, that was all lost. Uh, I mean, mine wasn't a huge amount, uh, enough for it to hurt, but, yep. um, yeah, there's plenty of people who really took a big hit in the pocket uh, once that went down. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, not just claimants and other providers and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, the owners of the business all suffered as well. Yeah. I've actually worked in a company before that went out of business, um, nothing to do with me, mind you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a really hollow feeling. 
So uh, I can only imagine if if you've got some stake in it as well that uh, it'd be even more more so. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, I mean, I, I was I consider myself lucky. Um, I, most of my shares I earned from creating uh, part of the business. Uh, so I, I did a stint uh, with Territory Assessing. I went down to Alice for three years and uh, we didn't have an office down there. So I went down there, started the office and that became my stake in the Territory Assessing Company. Ah. And so I was lucky enough that I could do that without actually having to put money into my pocket to start something up. Was, yeah, yeah. So um, still not nice to lose what you built up. But no. uh, there's... Um, yeah, other people in the business who bought into it or paid to get bigger shares, and mm. yeah, it was, yeah, and so from there you ended up at TIO, yeah. So that's uh, well, there were a couple of reasons for that. Um, there was about uh, 12 months before I left Cerno, was when uh, when we got Jai, um, which uh. Uh, Jai, I think I told you, Leon, is uh, adopted. And right, so to talk to us about that. Okay, so, um, well, I'll, I'll start off with, so my wife and I, Lisa, my wife, Lisa and I, <laughs> uh, so we met, uh, we were both fairly old. I mean, I was uh, 35, she's 36, um, and... We decided we'd try for kids. Where did you meet her? Uh, here in Darwin on an insurance golf day. Okay. And was she from Darwin or travelling through? Uh, well, she was living in Darwin at the time. She's originally from uh, Sydney, but she'd been living in Darwin for about two years. Um, and her partner, um, he'd actually passed away uh, probably about six months earlier before she met me. And, um, yeah, so she worked in the insurance industry. I'd actually just come back uh, and relocated from Alice. And uh, one of her uh, colleagues uh, where she worked uh, was a good friend of mine and he was saying to her, oh, I should come to this golf day. And uh, yeah, she's going, why? She goes, well, I don't know anyone there. And he goes, oh, oh, yeah, you're on. You work for Territory Assessing. He's going to be there. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, this, this guy's playing matchmaker or something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any of this at the time. This, this is, yeah, you know, come out after the fact. But um, so we were at this golf day, and at the end of the day, we're all having beers and whatnot. And uh, this girl comes up to me, and I'd never met her before, and she goes, oh, "I know all about you." Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, and she's telling me, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." your name and uh, you got a Dutch background and I can speak more Dutch than you. I'm thinking, <laughs> who is this person? And um, Anyway, we, we had a pretty good conversation and uh, a group of us all ended up back at uh, my unit in town and uh, we all had more drinks and talking and next thing you knew I was asking her out for a, a function the next weekend and and then we've been together ever since. Uh, so. We've been together now. We just had our fourteenth wedding anniversary last week. So I think sixteen years since we met. Wow! 
Um, I just want to I just want to segue for a second because sure. you, as you spoke about her and you said, and, and she said, I speak more Dutch than you. It occurred to me that you went to Europe. Did you go to the Netherlands and try to find your roots and your, your know, grandparents and all that? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I travelled to Holland uh, previously with my family when I was younger. Right. Um, so I was familiar with all my cousins and stuff that live in Holland. Right. So I spent a bit of time uh, catching up with them. And, uh, and from the speaking perspective, I, I know the odd word and whatnot. And, <laughs> um, after spending time with them, I understand a lot more than I can speak. Mm. But neither of my parents were really that interested in teaching us the language. Right. Um, Interesting. My, my sister was a bit different because she was born in Holland and so she had about four or five years of living there yep. and has got a lot more uh, background knowledge of the of the language as a result. Mm. But for me, yeah, I mean, I'll hear, hear a Dutch person, I can pick it out a mile away, but to have a chat with them, yeah, I'd, I'd be struggling. And then, right. uh, and then Lisa, she spent uh, three or four years in Europe. Uh, coincidentally, uh, that crossed over the time I was there too. Oh, wow. Um, and she worked in uh, Belgium for a while and learned how to speak um, uh, Flemish, which is very close to the Dutch language. Mm. And so, yeah, she's a lot more fluent in the language than I am, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so you both connected, uh, you got married. We got married and because of our ages, the first thing was we need to do the kids sooner than later. She didn't um, have any kids with her previous partner? No, right, no. Right. And uh, Lisa always said to me she couldn't have them. She goes, oh, I've tried before, I just can't do it. And uh, she eventually got diagnosed with uh, a severe um case of endometriosis right mm. and uh so anyway they said well rather than doing anything the best way to try and cure it is to get pregnant so we yes. referred to, to ibf yes and uh so we did three years of ibf mm. um and it just got to a stage well our, our first round of ibf was almost like a miracle like a after a few false starts, it just went bang, bang, bang. Uh, she was pregnant. We had uh, something happening. Uh, seven weeks, you know, we saw the little peanut kind of um, mm. uh, picture. And then uh, 12 weeks, we go back and nothing else has changed. Mm. And we're told, no, it stopped developing. It, you haven't miscarried. It's just stuck there. So, I mean... Yeah, this was just like, well, totally unexpected of this. And um, mm. so they had to do a cure to get the um, the fetus or well, the peanut or whatever, however you want to call it out to Lisa. And then we had to have a break and then start the IVF again. And yeah, after that, it was really all downhill because we got Lisa up to the highest um, hormones that she could possibly get in the IVF treatment. And she wasn't producing any more eggs. Like it was just be the minimum amount you could get. And 
Uh, they tried a few times, but nothing was happening. And eventually they said, look, it's not worth you throwing more and more money to keep trying for something that we can't improve your chances on. Mm -hmm. So that's where we, we got to a stage. I, I was over. I, right, our life is we're not going to have kids. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was actually fine with that. I thought, you know, I'm, you know, late 30s now and I, I can live with that. I'm happy. I'm happy we can be more flexible, do what we like. And then out of the blue, Lisa goes, oh, there's a meeting here um, for this adoption agency that, you know, some information on it. And I was really like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. You know, you want to go through more pain? We've just done this for three years. Um, but she was pretty adamant. I thought, well, it can't hurt just to go and find out a bit more about it. And um, and it's really, it's, it's amazing. It's little steps. Went to that first meeting and they started talking about international adoption. And, and you look at all the other people that were in the room and I thought, oh, well, well we're not so different from other people here. Um, so we get, went home and had a talk about it and said, no, let's have a one-on-one -on -one interview with one of the uh, facilitators. And What was the organisation, Joe? Uh, so that's with uh, uh, Family and Planning with the NT government. So, it's so the government run. actually put this on? Yeah. Yep, it's mm. all, all run by uh, NT government. So, mm. and so what did they tell you at this meeting? Like where could you adopt from? Um, so they said that they had, uh, well, they explained first the, the safety part of it, saying that it's uh, Australia is part of a um, what they call the Hague Convention. Mm -hmm. So you could only adopt from other companies, uh, other countries that are signatories to the convention mm -hmm. uh, because they agree on certain protections to make sure that you're not getting a baby that's sold or you know, yes. it's a legitimate adoption. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, someone who's being smuggled out of the country. So that that was a good reassurance first because that was, you know, yes. you, you hear yeah, horror of stories of people yeah. buying babies and just was not going to be into that. Mm -hmm. um, and then they uh, said, well, you know, they had programs with uh, China, or, um, uh, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, Korea, uh, Taiwan, uh, and th th there was actually quite a few um, names on the list there. Uh, I said, well, look, there is a process and each country is a bit different um, on in terms of costs because I've got different uh, legals that you've got to go through on both ends. Um, and then they said, you know, the timing of how long it takes depends on which country you go to. So they said if you go to China, you're probably looking at uh, five-plus years minimum um, because there's just so many people going to China um, requesting uh, adoption uh, children. So, I mean, I, I really don't know how we got into the mindset to think, hey, we're going to do this for another so many years. But <laughs> I think it was just, it's it's just not insurmountable. So let's mm. start off and see how it goes. Um, um, so that, that's when we had the one-on-one -on -one conversation and, uh, and then they explained a bit more about what's involved uh, moving forward so we have a uh, kind of a period where the facilitator has to 
do various meetings with myself and Lisa to make sure we're suitable candidates. So, and who, who are they? Do they work for the government? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, and this is the territory government or Australian yes, government? The territory government. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, family and planning. That they're, they're just like a subdivision under there that deal purely with um, adoptions. Mm. Um, I that, didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Did you I, pay? No, no, I didn't. No, I must yeah. be honest, I, I didn't. Yeah. It's actually there's quite a large community of um, adoptive parents in the territory. Yeah. And, uh, so that they actually try and, uh, you know, for the newly adoptive parents, uh, they, they yeah. do a lot of get-togethers with other parents who've adopted in the last year or oh, two. That's cool. That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, there's a lot of support mechanisms there. Um, there's even a Facebook page now uh, for NT Adoption and uh, sure. one of the parents, uh, she runs that and puts uh, interesting snippets snip on there and, uh, it's, it's just good. It's stuff I had no clue about myself when we mm. started the journey on it. And, um, yeah, but uh, going through it all, I mean, uh, the, the interviewing and um, the questions into your personal life. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I can it imagine quite invasive. I mean, they're, they're really nice about it, but... Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you, you you have to talk about your sex life, your arguments, yeah, you know, you, what you yeah. do like, what you don't like. And, yeah. you, know. you know what, you're on. Every couple should go through that before they have children, whether or not they're naturally conceived. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I mean, we even had a uh, it was a weekend workshop, which was all about how do you bond with an adoptive child. Oh, yeah. And and all that information is is so relevant to any parent or any child. That's I mean, so true. That is so uh, true. But, um, I, I always remember doing that course, and the best part of that two day course was when they brought in a um, uh, a parent of someone who had adopted, and they'd come in with their kid, and they'd talk about their experience and what happened when they travelled over there. You know, you just think, oh wow, how how amazing is that? Yeah. Um, and uh, since we've done our kids, I mean, Lisa and I are often asked to, to do that. And it's just amazing to be able to tell your story and, you know, to a group of people and, you know, hopefully, you know, either reassure them that, hey, it, it, there are difficulties, but it is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but it's also for us, I mean, we adopted older children where most parents uh, look at, getting toddlers or babies yeah so we're trying to explain the benefits of what um what it is for older children or or maybe not benefits that reduces yeah the differences and reduce the fear of that whole older child uh syndrome i mean it's definitely very challenging but mm. it's i mean I've, I've got no regrets with what we've done I, mm. i've got two kids um who are now What's 16 turning 17 and 12 turning 13? And, um, you know, they, they've still got a lot of uh, stuff to deal with from their past, but, you know, we're there supporting them and they're in a much better place yeah. than uh, where we got them from. Yeah, and how old were they when you adopted them? So we, we did Jai first, um, and when we started. The process with Jai, he was five. 
Mm-hmm. When we finally got to Taiwan and picked him up, he uh, turned seven a few months earlier. Wow. Um, Why does it doing, take so long? It's uh, You've got the bureaucracy on our side going through all the checks and balances. Then you've got the bureaucracy on the other side doing the same thing um, and then they review all the parental um, stuff that the you know, government's put together about mm. us being good parents and they have a whole heap of other questions that we have to answer and um, and then you've got to go, once all that's approved, it's then got to go to court over there to be ratified and then uh, then you've got all the visa stuff to be done. Yeah. And uh, so with Jai, it was slightly different to Anna because he got a temporary visa to come into Australia and then um, after 12, the first 12 months, we were guardians. We weren't actually ah. his legal parents. And after the 12 months, we then had to apply to Australian court and then they would ratify the adoption and then he could apply for Australian citizenship. Wow. Um, Anna was done a bit differently. It was all ratified beforehand. So when um, when uh, she was leaving Taiwan, she had a Taiwanese passport, but she had Australian um, uh, permanency yeah. um, already issued. Mm. And we all we had to do was apply for citizenship um, once she got here, and mm. um, and then we could get uh, her passport. So wow. we, didn't have, we didn't have that 12 months wait to her being here in Australia. And, and how old was she when, when you started the process? Um, so with Anna, she was, I'm just trying to think now, I think she'd just turned six and when we finally picked her up, she was seven and a half. So you're on. Yeah. Language. Language. So when we got them, uh, they both spoke Mandarin only. Wow. How's um, your Mandarin? Because uh, you're Dutch? <laughs> yes. well, actually, my, my Mandarin is better than my Dutch. Uh, okay. I, I did, I did uh, two semesters before picking Jaya. Okay. And, uh, and then another semester after we got him. Um, and then we had some really cool uh, books which helped uh, communication. Yeah, right. So, the I mean, the, I suppose the, the difficulty with language was I couldn't really talk to him because my pronunciation was so yeah, rubbish, yeah. but I could understand some of his words and that was enough for me to go, okay, I think I know what's going on. Uh, and uh, and then we, like the book we had, was there was a picture book and it had pictures of all these different things, activities, foods, and mm-hmm. then it had the name in English, yep. uh, the name in uh, the Chinese characters, and then the name in uh, what they call Chinese uh, uh, pinyin, which is oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the the English English whiteized version yeah, yeah. of the characters. So I mean that was a godsend when we found that. I bet. So, you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to say, "Hey, this is it." And um, yeah, so, but the the thing we found with Jai was he just didn't understand any English at all or the concept of things. Like uh, he would come out and say, you know, point to ice cream at breakfast time. Uh, uh, and you'd my go, kids no. still do that now. <laughs> but 
we would say no and he'd have a meltdown because he thought uh, he got in trouble. Right. Because uh, uh, his, his version of no is yeah, I've done something wrong, I'm yeah, in trouble. Yeah. And then and we'd say no, no, no means just not now. Yeah, later. Mm. Yeah, maybe yeah. later. And yeah. uh, that was really difficult. He was uh, after dinner, not before wheat bix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at that stage, I mean, we we just thought like Jai was uh, a bit behind in development. I mean, he was actually classed as special needs uh, because uh, they said he was he was slow. He um, he was underdeveloped. He had a cleft palate. Um, and uh, they said he, he started learning uh, speaking right. right. So when we got him, he looked like a four-year-old, acted like a four-year-old. Okay. Um, within three months uh, of living in Australia, he could ride a bike, he could catch a ball, he could swim, and he could. He started coming up with um, words and sentences. Wow. I mean, it's just amazing, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. whole change of environment. Yeah. I've actually been given a chance. Um, yeah. You know, he, he does have some difficulties, which we're now finding out about, which probably didn't help him. But back then, everything was put down because of that language difference and mm. the late development. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so we had to pull him back a year at school, in, in primary school. And so he's always been a year older than all the other kids. And, it's mm. been a bugbear for him. But he's now, you know, he's in year 10. Um, he's turning 17 this year. And he, his mind's caught up. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's where he's at. I mean, he, he's got um, other issues that um, he's dealing with. He's, a lot of the trauma from his childhood has really come to the fore and trying to deal with that's uh, been challenging and we've had to get a lot of outside help for him. Yep. Um, what do you What do you mean by that, Iran? Uh, so Jai's background, his mum was physically abusive. I mean, right. And we're not talking, hey, a slap across the head. Um, when he was finally given to the orphanage, um, she'd been reported to him because she'd put uh, his feet in boiling hot water Goodness and me. had third-degree burns over his feet. Wow. Um, and his grandmother used to try and uh, take him off the mum and look after him. And mm. in the end, she was the one who reported it, the matter to the government to say, I can't protect him all the time. Yeah. And How so, old was he when this happened? About three. Right. So um, he remembers that? Yeah. Right. And, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting, like, that, that, that was stuff that was mentioned in the report that we had of him, that mm. we knew some of these things. But it was only when uh, his English became better and he started telling us things that he could remember. Uh, I mean, we're talking like he's got a a scar on his uh, wrist here and uh, that's from his mum tying him up uh, and leaving him in the unit somewhere So when he was naughty. Um, He had an aversion to plastic bags and apparently she used to put plastic bags over his head. Oh, God. Um, he recalls being kicked down the stairs and um, breaking some bones or something, but it, he doesn't mm. know which bones. It was very unclear. So he, he's dealing with these memories of why did yeah why did she do this to him? Yep. You know, he's got two brothers 
over there. Like well, when we found that out, we said, well, we'll take all three of the kids. Mm. But, but the other two weren't up. I think one's with their father um, because they'd se- separated and the other one was with the mum and mm. I think she could handle one and that was her limit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he had a really nasty mm. uh, childhood and then uh, yep. so he's got a cleft palate which um, but they did uh, initial surgery on him in Taiwan but he's in the cleft palate program here in Darwin. Well, it's an Australian program and absolutely awesome. It covers everything for him for free. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, orthodontal, um, that they've been monitoring him, you know, every year for you know, since uh, we've had him in Australia and they now booked him in uh, for his final uh, rectification surgery for the end of this year. Wow. So I mean, he's had a lot of cases here in Australia where, you know, kids have just had a go at him because his face looks a bit different, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, oh, yeah, there's flat face and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, not so much now in, that he's in um, senior school or middle school, but yep. in primary school that's, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's had a lot to deal with. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> I know. So, you're on. Is that the typical kind of background environment where parents who are adopting are likely to get a child from? I mean, I was picturing in my head before you described that, you know, um, are Australian parents adopting from orphanages? Are they adopting direct from families? Uh, are they kids who are at risk or, you know, is it possible to even say what a typical environment is like or is it a mixture of things? It is definitely a mixture. Um, so with Jai, we had um, a, a list of questions that we had to answer about what we were willing to do in terms of adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, where's the line that you say, that's too much for me? You know, and uh, because, uh, I mean, we were already in that, area that we had to look at older kids we, uh, by the time we got to that stage we were pushing uh, 40 and australia or the nt government has a legislation that you can't be more than 40 years older than the child you're adopting oh really so we were in the bracket of we were pre-approved for a three to eight year old wow um and then so we, once we got our mindset on that saying well hang on there might be good things like that. We, we won't have a screaming baby. We won't have no potty uh, training. Potty training, the terrible twos. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's going to have other yep. other things to worry about, like the language barrier, um, mm. a child with a history that may affect them as they get older, uh, a child who has preconceived um, values that aren't the same as ours, or mm. um, Jai being in an orphanage. Uh, saw the whole world as an orphanage. Yeah, yeah. Like we would be somewhere, you know, down the basketball court and you'll see a kid playing a basketball. Had no clue who this kid was, but he would go over, take the basketball going, oh, it's a shared basketball. Right. Part of the orphanages. Wow. He didn't, he didn't understand that 
Um, no, no, you can't do that. That's his. You need to yeah. ask if you can play with him, or but you can't take it. Yeah. And then when he got his own stuff, he then realised, this is my stuff. I'm not sharing it with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, But, uh, yeah, getting back to your question, though, so um, we, we, we were bracketed into that older age group, but then we had a series of questions about, you know, would you adopt someone who had a, um, a history of abuse or had a physical deformity or maybe had hearing or eyesight issues? And the, the questions go on for, forever and you kind of work out what, what is, yeah, we're serious about this, what do we really want to put ourselves in for? Yep. Um, and with Jai, we, uh, we were pretty open. We said, look, look, most of this, you know, I think we could deal with. Um, if it's a major physical deformity, like it requires restructuring our house or something, you know, to suit wheelchairs or something, no, we're not into that. We're, that's a bit too far. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's where they then came back with a list of children that fit into that criteria. So, I mean, you might... Uh, well, actually, I should say the second time around with Anna, we were a lot more picky. Right. Like uh, the second time around, we said uh, we want a girl. Um, we're happy if that she's older. That's not a problem. Uh, we don't mind if there's a bit of uh, background history, but we've got enough dealing with Jai that if we brought someone else in with uh, severe needs, it would cause too much of taking our attention away from him and we need to share it equally. So we were a lot more picky with Anna and um, and we were very lucky that we got someone, I mean, she, her background was purely her mum uh, was in jail uh, for theft and um, I think drugs and had been in and out and couldn't provide a stable home. Mm. And um, in the end they just said, no, you've had too many chances uh, her grandfather tried to look after her, but they kept finding her just wandering the streets, um, you know, begging for money. So they pulled her into an orphanage um, and uh, put her up for adoption. Uh, wow. But it, it's interesting. Jai's orphanage was in uh, Taipei. That's uh, a facility had 60 kids in there. Um, Anna's orphanage was a, in a town now called Taichung, uh, about an hour, hour and a half uh, drive by train. And um, she had her own bed. She was given a suitcase with brand-new clothes and she had a bank account with the equivalent of $1,000 in it. Wow. And we're saying, oh, we, we don't want that. You, you guys take it, donate it to the orphanage. And they said, yeah. no, it's her money. The government had given them money every month or whatever to help for her care wow. and if they didn't spend it they left it in an account for her so yep. it would be hers and we're just going what the hell is yeah. going on yeah jai had nothing we, mm. he had this little suitcase which was his um seven years of existence yeah and it comprised of like three sets of secondhand clothes and one toy Wow. And that was his Why life. was that? But, but, I mean, the government's the same in both, you know, 
in, it's the same country. What's the difference? I have no clue. I, I don't know because it's in a different region whether they yeah, had different yeah. local um, bylaws, which, uh, I mean, it, Anna's was like a, a standalone school which had dormitories to it. Yeah. Um, I remember when we picked up Anna, we went back to the Jai's old orphanage because we had some paperwork to do there and we arranged for a special walkthrough so Jai could um, see where, um, where he grew up for those years. Yep. And it was actually a bit sad because he thought he'd see all his old friends there. Ah. And uh, I had to explain to him, like, if, if they're still here, that would be really sad. That's that bad, yeah. That they've never been adopted and they're not going to be adopted. Yeah. Um, so at this stage he was 11 when we went through there. Yeah, yeah. Anna, obviously she was seven, Jai was four years older. And... Um, so Jai showed me the room that he slept in and it's a, a little room smaller than his bedroom and uh, I said, oh, there's no beds in here. And he pointed to a pile of these mattresses. He goes, oh, no, we unroll those every night. Gee. And I said, oh, uh, so this is your room? And he goes, yeah, and, uh, and the others. And I said, well, how many others? And he said, oh, between six and eight. Wow. So, and I'm just there, and I looked at him because he, he used to say to me when he cracked the shits, going, wish he never adopted us, wish I was back in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I took the opportunity and said, wow, you know, this room's almost as big as your room at home. And you just yeah. see him go tick, yeah. tick, tick, go, maybe I won't say that anymore. <laughs> that's, that's one for Dad. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Yeah, so that was that was good, but, but that was a that was a tough trip. I mean, I Jai Jai was all up for being Big Brother. I mean, we we'd spoken to him before we yep. decided to go down um, a second adoption, and he was like, "I oh, can't wait to have a little brother or sister." He just thought it'd be the coolest thing out. Mm. Um, and I warned him um, a few days before we got Anna. I said, "Look, she'll probably be like you." And that is, you. She will not want to have anything to do with me as being a male, and will probably be the same with yourself. Um, because the, the kids, they they bond to the mother figure. You mm. know, that, that's their safe haven. Um, and he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, Daddy Tom. <laughs> well, sure enough, the the day we got Anna, I mean, she didn't want to talk to me. Didn't want to talk to Jai. Um, if I tried to pick her up, it was like picking up cardboard. She would just go stiff, arms down below, and just look around and, until I could get Lisa to take over. Uh, wow. Um, and as I said, I, I knew it was happening. I just thought, no, nah, well, here we go again because I had the same thing with Jai. I had to yeah. try and win him over and get him to trust me as being dad. Mm. Um, but Jai just couldn't get it. And mm. um, he just thought, well, if she doesn't want to have anything to do with me, I don't want yeah. to have anything to do with her. <laughs> yeah. And that just continued, um, you know, the tell each other off or, you know, just the, the dobbing thing. Yeah. They still dob now, but now it's more <laughs> brother and sister <laughs> stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, Anna didn't brush her teeth or she, she didn't do this properly. Uh, <laughs> but what so, about the fact that she could speak Mandarin 
and uh, you know, uh, you know, he could obviously. Did that actually help the communication issue? By that stage, Jai wasn't speaking Mandarin anymore. Oh, uh, right. um, I was wondering we, about that. Yeah, we, we tried. We got them into the Mandarin schools, um, and they just lose interest. Just mm. but, yeah, yeah. Uh, Makes I mean, sense. Even now, Anna hates it when anyone says, "Oh, you're from Taiwan." She goes, "No, I'm not. I'm from Australia." Ah. And uh, you know, she's got no interest. Doesn't want to know anything about her culture. Um, mm. Nothing about her language. Um, I'm hoping that will change. Uh, yeah. Jai's turned around a bit. He doesn't really want to learn the language, but he, he is a bit more interested in the culture now. And mm. um, But, yeah, it, it's a shame. We, we wanted them to keep keep up with the language. Did Anna have any brothers and sisters? Uh, she's got a stepbrother, but she doesn't know anything right. about him. He, oh. he, was, he, uh, he left... Um, before she was born, so mm. you know he was with the the previous uh, father, and mm. uh, she got no no connection really. Uh, she doesn't even think about her mum so much. Yeah. Her, her grandfather, she she kind of remembers, but you know, if it wasn't for a picture we still had of him. She probably yeah right. Um. So yeah, it's a. Have you, have you gone back to Taiwan since you adopted her? No, no, no. not yet. It's, uh, I'd like to, I think, uh, for Jai in particular, uh, yeah. to see if we can uh, track down his brothers. And yeah. um, we we did approach the agency about trying to create communication with them yep. uh, about a year ago and they said, well, look, it's really difficult because one brother's with the father, one's with the mother, and we don't really know what the dynamics is. Yep. And so they've kind of said, well, maybe Jai writes to his grandmother, who we don't even know if she's still alive or not, to mm-hmm. see if maybe she can provide information. Yeah. Uh, it's, it might be just to wait and see, uh, you know, when he's a bit older, um, you know, we go over and do a bit of a hunt around and see what we can track down. Mm-hmm. Be a good little adventure either way. Um, but and how has this whole process, um, particularly let's start with Jai, yeah. how has that affected your relationship with Lisa? Um, no, it's, uh, well, apart from me initially saying I wasn't that interested, hmm. I mean, once I, once you started that step, I was like a hundred percent committed to it. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's our relationships, I think, if anything, has been stronger. I mean, mm. probably the biggest things we argue about is uh, differences on uh, how we discipline the kids. Mm. You know, on uh, what we think is right or wrong. Uh, Sometimes she thinks I'm too lenient. And, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, but they're not massive issues. I mean, you, you have an argument and then uh, you sit down and have a wine and say, oh, yeah, it's a bit silly or yeah, maybe mm. I understand what you're saying and I'll try and do it differently. So, um, I mean, for us, it's we, we got to a stage where we never thought it would be possible. 
you know, we've, we've got a, mm. a son and daughter um, where when we were doing the IVF, it looked like there's no chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, we still sometimes think, geez, what would it have been like if we didn't do it and we would just go and have holidays everywhere and <laughs> <laughs> that's the alternative isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all think yeah. about that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then you, you realize yeah how much have you spent and what happened? <laughs> if i look at the cost of ivf cost of adoption and then the normal cost of raising your kids i'm just going well, there, there goes the mortgage. That would have all been done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're on. Le- Leon's still trying to get over the fact that you took a year off. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so just look, I mean, we didn't talk yeah. about that, but the cost of adoption, what, what does that look like? Um, so it was around about uh, getting close to 30000 when, when you had all your travel on top of uh, all the different legal fees, um, admin mm. fees. So that's for each one. Mm. Yes. Um, and when it happens, it happens very quickly. Yeah, uh, I've heard that. It's uh, like with Anna. I mean, I was on a work trip to um, to Melbourne and at the end of that week we were going to um, Bali for, to have holidays over the Christmas period because we hadn't heard anything you know, and things were stagnating mm. and... And uh, so I'm in Melbourne and Lisa calls me up and going, um, we've got to change Bali. And I said, what do you mean? Going, we're going to Taiwan and uh, we're picking Anna up on the 27th of December. Wow. And I'm going, oh, okay. So I then had to go to the meeting I was at, at work uh, down there and um, in between breaks I'm busy on the computer going, Flights, flights, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I worked out, no, we still go to Bali. We'll spend 10 days in Bali and then from Bali we'll fly direct to Taipei and uh, spend a week in Taipei, come back to Bali and um, catch our returning flight back to Darwin. So wow. it actually all worked out <laughs> amazingly. There's your Christmas miracle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that was uh, the presents. Uh, uh, sorry, was it twenty? Sorry, no, it was twenty fourth of um, December. Twenty seventh was uh, the flight uh, back to Bali. So twenty fourth. Mm-hmm. So on Christmas Day, it was very much here. Here's your Christmas present. Here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Anna, go yeah. back to Dad. That's your <laughs> Christmas present. Uh, um, but yeah, it very much. It was like a Christmas miracle. It's. Uh, yeah. um, Yes. And so this all happened while you were manager at Cerna. Uh, so the first adoption I was at Cerno yeah. uh, with Jai mm-hmm. and um, and that's when we had Jai and I thought I can't be spending so much time out on the road away from mm. home. Yeah. yeah. And that's when the job at TIO came up and I thought, well, I'll go and apply for that because then I know at least I'm based in Darwin, you know, reduce my travel time and, you know, I can spend more of that quality time looking after Jai and helping Lisa and 
uh, not gallivanting around uh, looking for disasters uh, as yeah. lots of justices do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so with Anna, uh, yeah, I was obviously I was with TIO when uh, when we went through uh, that process, uh, um, and they were really good and supportive about it. And uh, it was funny because when I got that call from Lisa, it was actually my immediate boss was with me on the trip down to Melbourne, and she was listening to the phone conversation, and she's kind of twig twigging <laughs> what's going on here. <laughs> and then she's realising, this is it. It's happening. Yeah. And, uh, and so she was the first person outside of Lisa and myself to know. It's like, yeah, yeah uh, I've got to go. And um, I don't know anything else yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I might need some weeks off when I get back. And uh, and Lisa, yeah, she took her maternity leaves and, mm. yeah, it was uh, – so in the end, the, the actual process afterwards is, is like having a normal child. You, know, you still get your parental leave instead of maternity yeah, leave. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you just got different challenges. Uh, yeah. So. And you're on, you, you said before, it all happens pretty quickly. Yeah. So from, from the time you, you get told this is happening, what degree of knowledge do you have regarding the child, the sex, the age, the background and things like that? Uh, so all that we already knew. So okay. um, with uh, Taiwan, the program that we were involved in had a uh, – they gave you pretty good uh, pre-information about the background of the child, um, you know, what uh, what their history was, and then we did uh, Skype uh, with the child for, oh, cool. you know, every month was a – you know, do a one-hour Skype uh, thing with them, uh, which is good the first couple of times because they're, they're all excited and showing yep. you stuff they made, but because they can't speak or communicate with you and can't understand what you're saying. Yes. Um, even though there's an interpreter there, it's really, yeah. really hard. So you've got to do try and make things so they can picture, you know, oh, this is your room where you're going to be and you know, here's a doll we've got for you. Mm. And, um so it, it kind of gets it gets a bit monotonous when you're doing about your sixth or seventh Skype and understand yeah yeah like Anna was meant to be a bit of a fast track adoption right. um, they said oh no no we we need someone urgently and we're going okay yep we'll, we'll do that and uh, then it took eighteen months right um, <laughs> and, uh, and then we found out uh, we didn't know until. Right near the end, uh, when it went to court just before um, the final ratification in Taiwan, uh, the mother had actually changed her mind about the adoption oh, and God. actually put an application in to overrule it. Right. And you've got to imagine, like, this poor kid's been doing Skypes with us for over 12 months. Yeah. Has, has been told, no, you're going to have this new home in Australia, all all this stuff, and then all of a sudden it's put on hold. Mm. And um, we weren't told straight away. We were just, we were told uh, you're going to have an expected pickup in September. Yep. And then uh, nothing came, and then they said, we don't know what's going on. And then it wasn't until end of October that they told us, oh, this is what's happened. And we're going, so what does that mean? Saying, well, the court's got to re-look at it. 
mm. and they may change their mind and cancel the adoption. Wow. And uh, I, I remember having that call. I was at the TAI office. I, I just lost it. I walked yeah. out, out of the room and just had to find some place to myself and kind of think, shit, this can't be happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, they, they just they didn't have any more information and then and that's why we booked the trip to Bali, thinking, right, we just need to yeah. get our heads out of this and whatever happens, happens. Mm. And then the next call we get was in um, that December saying, your date, here it is. Yeah, it's all on. gone. It's gone yeah. ahead. Gee. So, so then, yeah. yeah. So I'll just finish up on what happened when we got to Taiwan and the carers over there told us what happened, that as part of the process they took the child to see the mum in prison just to see if there was any other um, emotional context there. And from Anna's perspective, there was none. But the mum, on seeing her, lost it, and that's when she changed her mind. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I get it, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it, when you think about the, the, the process of a child coming into the world, there's a, there's a nine-month build-up and, you know, there's the process of getting ready and buying clothes and teddy bears and stuff like that, which would be no different. But in, in your case, you're getting ready for something that yeah. for no reason that you know of just gets you know, put on pause or hold or finished or stopped or whatever it might have been. Yeah. So I, I can only imagine the, the the ebb and flow of that feeling. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it still makes you, you know, just thinking about it, you know, just mm. trying to say, well, no, no, let's just push that back down again. No, it's, oh, you know, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, I'm slightly left of centre here. I'm interested, earlier you were talking about the fact of which countries are the ones that Australians most usually adopt from. Do you have yeah. any insight as to why it's those countries specifically and, and why we're not adopting from the Eastern Bloc of Europe or, you know, the various other parts of the world where I imagine that, that children would need adoption? Um. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that's to do with uh, the Hague Convention. That a lot okay. of the specifically that. Yeah, um, okay. but it, it's opening up. I, I've, I know that there's some uh, parents who've been looking at uh, some of the South American countries that okay. have uh, signed on. Yep. Um, so, I think it's constantly changing. But uh, I think initially that there was those group of countries which tended to be more Asian. Yep. Um, background and I don't know. I've got my own theory about that. Uh, I found uh, being in Taiwan that they're very uh, superstitious about defects in children. Right. Um, like with Jai, I mean, the amount of times we'd have people come up to us in in the city and they're saying, "Oh, you're doing such a great thing. Um, you know, you're good people," mm. and then they'll just say. 
but you must be careful of him. And they'd point to his lip. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, it's a hair lip, it's a cleft palate. That, yeah. But it's like, there's something totally wrong with him because of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a oh, bit of a bit of that that it's not a perfect child and then, so then they're the ones that get mistreated or abandoned and mm. um, <laughs> but that's only my theory just from my observation. Uh, uh, and, and I reckon you're probably not, you wouldn't be off the mark there. I, no. I think, um, you know, just knowing some things that I know from Asia and the Middle East, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And, look, um, you know, I, I've said this a few times, um, well, on the podcast, you, you probably yeah. don't know this, but, you know, I've got a bad back and, and I use crutches to walk, right? And what's really interesting to me is that sometimes I'll travel overseas and people will just randomly come up and talk to me about that fact. And yeah. it's, it's a variety of different levels of conversation. But I remember I was playing golf one day with a, uh, a, a British bloke in, in Dubai and we played one or two holes together. And Look, I don't think about the fact that that's my situation. It's just what it is, you know. Yeah. But um, he just sort of randomly said to me after a few holes, he goes, mate, you're so lucky you were born in Australia. And I said, why is that? And he goes, well, you know, I've known people like you in, in the UK and they end up spending their entire lives indoors and not really doing anything with their lives. And I, and I sort of said, well, that's, that's on them, mate, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I've also travelled through Asia and I see people with mobility issues, for example, with makeshift crutches or makeshift wheelchairs, and I think to myself, Jesus, we are lucky we're born in Australia because that sort yeah. of stuff is just, its you just deal with it and, and there's implements to assist, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I always look at Jai's, you know, that, that report where they said that, you know, he was slow and he had all these learning difficulties and... Mm. I mean, you know, he got uh, his uh, first year at uh, school. Um, was it first year or first term? It's, so when we got Jai, it was October, and uh, the advice that we were given was to keep him at home away from school for about six weeks or so. Yeah. Now, this is the advice that they normally give any adoptive um, parent, regardless mm. of the age of the children. And they didn't have too many people who adopted older children here in the Territory. And they said, to be honest, we, we don't really have a real guideline for someone who's seven. Yeah. Um, we got them into school within two weeks because the language barrier was yep. such a pressing case. Um, and the, the difference in that whole... Uh, stuff of Jai and us and how we interacted changed within three months. Yep. And, and yeah, it was the end of the next year. He got a Chief Minister's Literacy Award wow. for Most Improved Spoken English. Wow. Wow. And, I mean, to me, I was just going, well, that shoves it up, all those reports Correct. that said that he couldn't learn. Correct. You know, yep. um, he just needed an opportunity. And the problem is that, that whole um, psyche of 
that they have yes. over there about, no, no, they've got a problem, so we're not going to spend the time trying to... Put him away, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. exactly how it was. I'm also going to make a shout-out for Aussie Tucker in there too. Um, yeah. I'm sure the Aussie Tucker would uh, absolutely have been a help in that process. Yeah. That... What are you talking about, mate? Oh, <laughs> good, wholesome Australian food. I beg to differ. Oh, here we go. I've been to Taiwan. Uh, very fortunate to have Okay, how many orphanages so. have you been in Taiwan? <laughs> None. Right. I thought you were just talking about the Taiwanese. No, food. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the big difference from soup and noodles. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, although, I mean, our kids love having noodles for breakfast. Wow. Know. Yep, that's an Asian thing. Uh, they just go, uh, just give us these noodles. We'll heat them up ourselves. And mm-hmm. okay. not always. They still like a good bacon and egg breakfast too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. Uh, and if you'd adopted them from Sri Lanka, they'd be having rice and curry for breakfast. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> just, just touching on something else that you yeah. said before, and I'm sure you're not going to go again because you've you've told us that you adopted at an older age to start with. But if you ever did go again, and you want to fix that initial connection issue, ice cream for breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, there is no such word as no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you, you've, uh, you've left TIO now and uh, you've been out on your own for a while, have you? Yeah. yeah so, uh, well, I work for myself, but I trade under a national company called LMI. Mm. Um, Which stands for what? Uh, well, it's Lost Management International. Um, but these days they just LMI, mm. and they uh, specialise in insurance consultancy, uh, and they do a lot of claims work, acting on behalf of um, the client rather than for the insurer. So they're claims right. preparers. So what we do, so say you've got a business that's uh, burnt down, and you need someone to help you walk through the minefield of insurance. Yeah, you. Can call on one of us to um, act on your behalf. The policy has a section under it called claims preparation, which is specifically designed for someone to assist you in a claim. Mm. And um, so we'll go through and then we'll deal with the loss adjuster, the insurance company, and present the claim, um, you know, that you're entitled to. Is that all insurance? Or is it just Uh, certain types of policies? Yeah, so... The commercial policies have it uh, written, so like your business packs or your industrial uh, risk policies, mm. they'll normally have a claims preparation section in it. Yep. Um, we can do it on a household policy, but then it'd be uh, a fee that the, uh, the the person would have to pay. It wouldn't be yeah. covered under the insurance company. So but we... I mean, we sometimes provide advice on that, but we, we really we focus on the commercial side. Yep. Um, so that, that's what the group does uh, as their predominant, uh, I suppose, uh, core uh, workforce uh, around the country. Up here, there's not a big call for it uh, for myself. I get involved in a few of those claims, um, but I do a lot of uh, risk consultancy on uh, surveys. So... You know, like doing a, a pre-loss uh, risk assessment of a business that your broker could send to an insurance company and hopefully get you a better renewal term. Mm. 
And um, and then we've got a another brand that we deal with, which is purely traditional loss adjusting. And under that brand, I, I do work. Um, I've been on uh, the TIO panel now for the last uh, six months, and just doing some loss adjusting work for them uh, as well. So, kind of. You know, all works together to provide a bit of a business and I kind of run it as my own business and just pay it's like a franchise fee to LMI yeah. to yeah. use their branding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been four years now and still operating out of my office at home. So Nice. <laughs> yeah. now, now, you're on. I, I, I've got a favour to ask of you now. Um, sure. I'm sure it's got absolutely nothing to do with you, but now that I know you're on the TIO board of some description, <laughs> can you please get those ads made in Darwin that say they're locals for locals? Because oh, tell me about the noise of crap out of me, they're made in Brisbane. And yeah. it, it stinks like Brisbane. And the, the one that made me laugh the most was when they were covering us from hail damage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, please don't tell me you're in Darwin because we know you're not. Oh, even the people who are in it are acting it. I'm going, Correct. they don't look like they're Darwinites. They <laughs> <laughs> don't. Uh, anyway, I'm glad we're on uh, the same page with that one. Uh, no, it's, I think that's uh, the corporate marketing team. That is, I'm sure. Yeah, that's Allianz have got their fingers in on that one. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> going to ask you earlier, given your um, your previous history with destroying companies, whether you are involved with TIO being sold off as well. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was there. <laughs> I was working at TIO when it happened. There you go. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why I did leave in the end uh, yeah. because uh, Allianz uh, Company had come in and that, that small local company just wasn't mm. there anymore. Yeah. And I thought, no, nah, got an opportunity to do something different. Let's go and do it. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, so I suppose I could just sort of take that one. It's uh, a... <laughs> I left after it happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I might have uh, I might have some business for you, uh, Yaron. I just uh, I just realised as you're talking that I might be able to connect some dots for you. So that's uh, that's good. Okay. That's what we like to do out of this podcast. And you, you know, oh, we're yeah. still recording, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, I wasn't going to go into detail. I'll go into it off here. <laughs> okay. um, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. one of the great things. It's one of the sort of unintended consequences, I think, of, of having a, a, conver- a, a long-form conversation with someone yeah. is that you start thinking, "Hey, hang on a second, yeah, I know someone that might be able to use the yeah, services." Yeah, no, definitely. No, we'll have a chat um, off air another time and. Yeah, happy to help uh, anything. So even if I'm always happy to have a conversation with someone if they've just got a question on a claim and want to run something by me, mm. you know, offer that to a lot of the brokers that, you know, don't have to charge for everything we do. It's, um, yeah. Some of it just needs, uh, someone needs a sounding board or something like that. So Yeah. Because, yeah. um, you know, Sometimes people, uh, you know, bad things happen to people, uh, mm. you know, or their property, uh, and they've got no idea how to how to start. And if they put in a claim and it's rejected, and it they, that doesn't make sense to them, uh, yeah. they're at a loss as to what to do next. Yeah. So uh, there's perhaps an opportunity there for them to make contact with you and say, look, you know, 
have I done something wrong here? Or, you know, is there, is there another way to approach this? Is, would that be right, Jerome? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes, it, you know, we'll look at something and go, look, to be honest, this is correct and there's not much we can do. Other times there's, hey, no, this is off the mark and, you know, sometimes it might only, you might need a letter uh, from someone with a bit of expertise, you know, like um, ourselves yes. to say how your policy is actually worded this way and yes. this is where this comes in and it should actually be paid. Yes. And we've had cases like that, uh, you know. Um, one of the first ones I did uh, when I started uh, for LMI uh, was for a, a broker and it was a claim that was originally denied and they ended up paying 80000 to the client. Um, wow. And that was purely just writing a letter saying, we think you've misinterpreted aspects yes. of your policy. This is how we think it should be interpreted. Yes. Um, they didn't turn around and say we were right because yes. they don't like to say that, <laughs> but yeah. they just said, look, we've, we've agreed to pay. And, yeah. And, look, it, it gets a result. We, we don't need to be told if we're right or wrong, but yes. if it helps someone and they, you know, get what they're supposed to get, and that's really all it is. Mm. Yeah. Well, Yaron, thank you for coming on the podcast uh, and thank you for You're sharing welcome. such uh, intimate details about yeah. your family and, uh, you know, it's uh, it can't have been easy to do, um, but I'm very confident that some of what you shared with us is going to help somebody out there in some way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it's happy to do that and uh, as the... Um, the adoption team here, and they often pass out details on to people who want to know more about older kids and stuff and often hook up with them for a coffee or whatever and, mm. you know, just give them our views on it and, you know, hopefully that helps them make the, the right decision. Is there a website people can go to for this? Um, there's, a, well, we've got the, there's a Facebook page, um, for their N, uh, NT adoption group. Well, what's um, that called? Uh, I might I, I'm sure if you search <laughs> NT adoption on Facebook, you'll find it. I did. I put that in and it didn't come up. Pete. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll look it up and send it through for you if you like, Leon. All you. right. Well, Pete can put it on our website because we're yeah. looking for a blog. <laughs> 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 and we'll also stick it in a link on the uh, social media. So uh, have a look. I'll, <laughs> I'll send you through the link too for um, uh, the department that do all the adoptions, the government department. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. And what about your business? Have you got a website for that? Uh, so we've got the LMI. I've got a website on there. Um, so that's uh, lmigroup.com. Right. Uh, no AU? No, no, you. Okay, all right. And, uh, You're thinking big, Leon. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll get all that out there and, you know, Pete's uh, populating our, our website now that we've got one. Yeah. Um, so, awesome. um, yeah, we'll definitely put some stuff up there for you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, mm. I'll hand it over to my co-host to um, finalise uh, proceedings. No, I appreciate the invite. So. Just one final thing, Yaron. If you yeah. did want to send us some, a blurb on that, I can actually stick it up as a blog post on the website as well. So if there was some, however you want to put it, in your own words and someone else's words or whatever, be, be happy to stick it up there for you. A blurb okay. on what, mate? 
just just about what he's discussed that process uh, yeah right. you don't don't have to decide now yeah but it's it's out there if if you'd like to okay no problems appreciate that okay. thanks for coming on Yaron. it's been great chatting to you same here guys that yes. was Yaron Firstner on the territory story podcast we'll catch you again next time You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.